Um, So this morning, we'll get to our second reading from Isaiah in a moment, but I'm going to ask you to do something um, that might be challenging for some of you. For some of you, this might be totally easy. I think it all sort of depends on your frame of mind. Now, I know that Christmas is coming this week. It was pretty obvious to me that Christmas was only a week away when I made the mistake on Friday of meeting a friend for lunch at one of the restaurants in that Arbor Hills shopping center on Washtenaw Avenue up in Ann Arbor. And it took me nearly 30 minutes to get a parking spot there. And I realized, oh, Christmas is coming, and it is coming next week. And I know that there are still so many things uh, yet to be done in many of our homes before that holiday arrives. But for right now, in this place, even if just for this hour of worship this morning, I would really like for us to stay with the season of Advent for just one more Sunday. And I want us to be Advent people for just a little bit longer because Advent is such an important season in the life of the church. Now, traditionally, going back as far as Advent goes, which isn't to the very earliest church, but started pretty early in the church's history, Advent is actually a season of fasting. It was supposed to be a time when we as Christians are called to repent, to eschew the things of this world around us, to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Messiah, both the baby born in Bethlehem and also the Messiah who is still yet to come upon the clouds in glory. And in fact, the reason that Advent traditionally was in purple, we celebrated in blue here at this church, but the reason Advent was traditionally in purple is because it was supposed to be parallel to the season of Lent. It's a season of penitence and introspection. It's feast or fasting before we come to Christmas, which is a season of feasting, much like Easter is a feast season in the church. And I know that all of that subtlety of Advent gets completely destroyed in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, which seems to come like, I don't know, this year, like maybe mid-October, Christmas started appearing places. Who knows? By next year, it'll be like the end of September. We start seeing it places And it sort of, like, crushes anything that is supposed to be subtle and fasting and penitential and all of that about this season of Advent. But for a couple more hours, let's just be in Advent. Because our reading that we'll come to from the prophet Isaiah and the reading from Isaiah that we've been hearing every single week during Advent, Isaiah was speaking to the people of Israel when they were in a season of Advent. They were waiting in a much, much longer season of Advent than we are. They waited over 700 years for their Messiah to come to them. These words spoken by Isaiah were spoken about 700 years before Jesus came. And that is 700 years of the people waiting and hoping and anticipating this promised Messiah who's going to bring them this kingdom of peace. For us in the church, it actually turns out we're kind of uh, a little bit weak when it comes to Advent. We're kind of weenies about Advent. Before the ninth century in the church, Advent actually was a full 40 days, and people would actually fast for 40 days, much like they would fast for 40 days in Lent. But around the ninth century, the church decided that that was too much, and so they shortened it down to a convenient little four-week window, which we still, still celebrate today. But be it 28 days or 40 days, that's really nothing compared to what the people of Israel experienced 
from these words of Isaiah all the way 700 years until the coming of Jesus, that baby in Bethlehem. And when Isaiah spoke these words to the people of Israel, things were not going well for them. They had their own kingdom, but out to the east, the vast Assyrian Empire was sort of looming like this shadow over them. Every day brought news that Assyria was encroaching slowly toward Israel. With each passing year, it became more and more certain in the minds of the people that Assyria would, in fact, take over and occupy the kingdom of Israel. And that's exactly what happened. Assyria moved first through the land that we would know as Iraq today, and then they came and they crushed Aram, which is where we would consider Syria today. And finally, the Assyrians did, in fact, march in, and they took occupational control of the kingdom of Israel. For the chosen people of God, these 12 tribes that had lived in this kingdom for so long, this began a very black period of their history. And the people were afraid. And history shows that they had every reason to be afraid. The Assyrians had moments of real brutality when they took over another uh, culture. They would come in, they besieged the city of Jerusalem, and part of the way that they got the people to let them in was by starving them and causing such significant thirst that the people had no other choice. They were literally dying from this siege. And so first the Assyrians came in and they took over and they conquered And that lasted for a while. And then, a couple hundred years later, it was the Babylonians. And they came in, and they kicked the Assyrians out, and they were brutal in their own way. The Babylonians were followed by the Persians, and then the Greeks, and finally the Roman Empire came and took over the land of Israel. The Romans, in the end, destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They crushed the second temple that the people had built, and they scattered the people of Israel around the world. And this scattering is called the diaspora, and it's something that our Jewish brothers and sisters still live with to this day. The kingdom of Israel was, at least as we know it in a biblical sense, destroyed. And so the people of God for 700 years had experienced occupation after occupation and were finally scattered, and they were so afraid. And the people, throughout these years, they were waiting for their promised Messiah, this one who would come to rescue them. And they were staring down this long, dark, unknown future, and they were afraid. And so it was into this fear and this sorrow that the prophet Isaiah spoke to the people. In this reading from chapter 9, Isaiah says to them, There will be no gloom for those of you who are in anguish. In the former time, God brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, God will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who have walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken them as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the trampling warriors and all the garments rolled in blood, they shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us, a son given, 
Authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and for his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onwards and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. Now, these aren't words of poetry that Isaiah was speaking to the people. I mean, yes, they are actually poetic. In the Hebrew, they are a poem. But these words were also real that he was speaking to them. When the Assyrians marched in, there actually were boots on the feet of their oppressors, and there were clothes that were soaked in the blood of battle and of occupation. So this poetry from Isaiah that we hear here and that we heard earlier as well, this poetry is also the real promise to the people of a Messiah. He was telling them so many years ago, and Isaiah still tells us today, to take heart, to have hope, to live in peace with one another, to embody love, because I promise you, you're waiting for something. This period of Advent, this period of waiting, it will lead you to your Messiah, and he will be known as the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Your Messiah is coming. And I can imagine that if you're staring down this history of war and occupation and violence, that you know, there's very little that feels more comforting, uh, that could feel more comforting to you than this promise of a leader who will be a prince of peace. But at the same time, there's little that could feel as distant as that promise. How could a prince of peace come when you're staring down an empire to your side? And although we today aren't really facing this sort of black hand of the Assyrian Empire in our own backyards, I do wonder if we are sort of in a season of Advent as people as well. I wonder how we are waiting for the Messiah to come to us in our place, for a prince of peace in our own midst. I think we are like most people throughout the vast majority of human history. Like we think that we live in an age of anxiety because the questions we ask loom very large. And we're not wrong for thinking that. We sort of always have boogeymen around a corner waiting to get us. And those boogeymen are oftentimes very real. They're not fictional or made up. We ask questions and they come up all the time. You know, what is going to happen to us if... ISIS becomes more powerful? What is going to happen if Assad continues to ravage his own people? What's going to happen to us if the climate warms two degrees Celsius? What's going to happen if Donald Trump or Ted Cruz or Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or whoever becomes our president? What is going to happen to us when children in a neighboring city are literally poisoned by lead in their own water? What's going to happen to us if a lunatic with a gun walks into my kid's school? When I say boogeyman, I'm not making something up here. We really do live with these anxieties. Just as much as the people of Israel so long ago, we are surrounded by examples of ways that we could imagine a bleaker future for ourselves. It's the same way that the people of Israel were asking themselves, what is going to happen to us if the Assyrians crush us? 
But here and now, in this season of Advent, I think this is why we need to sit here just a little bit longer. I think we need to sit with looming darkness, both literally in the world around us, but also in the longest nights that are coming in the next few days. Just as Isaiah called Israel to do, Isaiah calls us to hold on to a little bit of hope, to light one candle each week. I love the little song we sang last week, light one candle, light two candles, light three candles, light four candles to watch for the Messiah. Let the light banish the darkness, for God shall bring salvation to Israel and to us, because God will fulfill this promise. So Advent is a time of waiting. It's a time of anticipation, and it's also a time of gathering darkness. But in that gathering darkness, the hope of Advent is that we are called to resist that. Whether we are celebrating now in this church today, whether it was the people of Israel facing Assyria 2,700 years ago, whether it was the very first Christians facing the Roman occupation and the persecution therein, whether it was the medieval church facing the plague that blanketed so much of Europe, whether it's us and the worries that we sit with today, there's always going to be some darkness, some anxiety that surrounds us. But Advent is our answer to that. Advent, we do it every single year because we need this constant reminder that we should just light a candle. That in the midst of despair, we are called to carry a little flickering hope with us. Isaiah promises us that those swords and those boots of the enemy, that those clothes that are rolled in the blood of battle, that that can be repurposed, that those swords can be beaten into plowshares, that those boots and clothes can be burned as fuel for the fire that warms us. That against all odds, we will continue to be a people of peace because we have this hope that the Messiah is coming that there will be a baby born in Bethlehem, that the chosen one of God will come down riding on those clouds, that peace will be the watchword. So together I would invite us to hold on to Advent just a little bit longer, a few hours, a couple of days. And although the world might seem wrapped up in the anticipation of the joyful Christmas season, I would invite us to be the people who wait and watch the people who are prepared to offer a word of hope and a single candle, the promise of the coming Messiah when the world needs that promise the most. Amen.